Well, we'll get rolling tonight. If you're ready to study, why don't you open up your Bibles and turn it to Ephesians 4. I'm going to read the same passages we started with last week. This is third trimester, lesson seven. If you're here because you're in a potential leadership training, then I know I have your attention. If you're here because you like to be in God's house in the middle of the week, I'm glad you're here, and I believe the Lord will say something to you through his word and through our instruction tonight that will help you. So even though it may not look entirely relevant, we will do our best to make it incredibly relevant to your life before it's all said and done. And so trimester three, lesson seven is what the notes say, and it simply is titled Apostles and Prophets, Apostles and Prophets. And we're in Ephesians 4. I want to read to you again these passages, and so bear with me. We read them last week, but just let's get it in our ears in our heart again. Paul writes, But to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. And you'll remember last week I told you that there are three different passages, three different sections of Scripture that talk about the gifts of the Spirit. And the gifts of the Spirit are not to be confused with skills or even talents. Some people think gifts equal talents. You may be talented at something, but that does not necessarily mean it's a gift. And, of course, you could have a a gift, and out of that gift comes a talent, and that that could be legitimate. But, uh, you know, there are people that have all sorts of talents, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's, it's a gift. And there are three sections of Scripture, and in each section, I told you last week that I think I could make a case that each person of the Godhead releases that category of gifts. The Father releases motivational gifts. In Romans chapter 12, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, releases spiritual gifts that he distributes to individual believers as he wills. In fact, uh, the motivational gifts from the Father, everyone gets. All of us have a certain disposition and motivation, so we all have a motivational gift. The Holy Spirit gives us spiritual gifts, which he determines how those are released and when they're released. And you could conceivably have all nine of those gifts or any one. Um, And then finally, we're stopping here in Ephesians because these are the gifts that the Bible tells us here, as I will read it in verse 7 and 8, that when Christ ascended, the Scripture says that he gave gifts to men. And these are what I call uh, governmental gifts, Ascension gifts, I'm just using synonyms here. They're all synonymous. Some people will use verse 11 here and, uh, excuse me, 11 and uh, 12 to uh, indicate what has been called five-fold ministry. And as we read down here, that will make more sense. But I need you just to keep in mind there are these three categories of gifts, and we're dealing with one of those categories called governmental gifts, and now we're dealing specifically with two of the five that are called apostles and prophets. So, each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended, meaning Jesus on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this, he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth. He's referencing those three days when Christ was in the grave He's referencing how Christ descended into hell and preached liberty to those who were in Hades, who had been in this this abode of the dead, the Old Testament saints. He preached to them there, and he released them out of paradise in order to be with him uh, in what we now know as heaven. 
But it says, He who descended, in verse 10, is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And this is the passage we're zeroing in on. And he himself gave some. Doesn't mean everyone. Some means some. He gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. And why did he do that? He did it for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, until we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a complete or perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about every, by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love, may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. All right, I want everyone to say, say this with me, say, Christ gave gifts to grow me up. Okay, that's why they're here, to mature us, to equip us, to supernaturally equip us. And again, if there's a gap in your understanding, then you can just go to the website, go to iTunes, and we'll catch you up, and you can listen to that instruction that we gave last week. But let's zero in on apostles and prophets. Now, the fivefold ministry, or these five gifts, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers... These were given to the church, as we've just read, to equip us, to stabilize us, to correct us, and to mature us. So these represent certain ministry gifts that come to us in order that the work of Christ can be completed inside of us. Now, I have people ask me all the time. They say, you mean if I walk with the Lord and it's just me and Jesus, I'll never be complete? That's exactly what I'm saying. Actually, I didn't say it. Paul did. You understand that, that you can have a personal relationship with the Lord and he can speak with you and you can read his word and that's certainly of value and of merit and you will certainly grow and all of these things will have and find a place in your life. But it's interesting that Christ really forced us as his people to be with one another. That's why there's 60 plus odd verses that say be something to one another. You can't do Christianity without one another. I mean, I mean, you can't grow up without one another. I cannot tell you how many times I've rubbed shoulders with people and I've walked away and said, I'm going to grow after that experience. God's working in me after that experience. It's happened to you too. That's why we have each other. Because as we interact with each other, God works. And as he works in that, he's growing us up. He's equipping us. He's maturing us. He's giving us wisdom. And these gifts, he says, in particular, are given within the body in order that we might find a more mature place in him. Now, the reason I spend time in this training, this potential leadership training, in, in this maturing training, the reason I spend time talking about this, and we just don't get, you know, to the nitty-gritty of how do I make it through, you know, tomorrow, is because if we don't understand God's divine pattern, we'll never get the outcome. I'll say it again. If you don't follow the pattern, you won't get the outcome. 
If you don't follow the pattern of the dress, if you're, if, you, if, if you're a seamstress and you're cutting the pattern of the dress, you may want what's on the outside of the folder, but you won't get the dress on the folder unless you follow the pattern that's in the folder. You will not get abundance and blessing and deliverance and help and resource and all the promises of God that are in this word. They are true. Paul himself said all the promises of God are yes and amen in Jesus Christ. And he has given us even a guarantee to these promises by dispensing amongst us the Holy Spirit who bears witness of these things in our heart. But even having said all of that, that all the promises are yes and amen, you just can't make up the rules or make up the pattern as you go along. You have to follow divine pattern. Here's the good news. If you follow divine pattern, the blessing will come. Now, having said that, we get to apostles and prophets. Now, truth be told, um, in the grand scheme of Christianity and the body of Christ, um, not every church, in fact, maybe I could say legitimately the majority of churches don't believe that the apostles and the prophets are still around. Now, we mentioned to you last week how Paul tells us how long they're going to stay around. He says they're going to stay around until we all come to the unity of the faith. Well, I don't know about you, but I don't know that we've all come to the unity of the faith yet and that we haven't come to the knowledge of the Son of God to a complete it says here, perfect man. I don't know about you. I'm not claiming perfection yet. And nor have I, I come to the measure of the stature of fullness, the fullness of Christ. So I, I don't believe that I'm exactly like Jesus 24-7. I don't believe that. Well, if that be true, and it is, then apostles and prophets still hang around. Now, I understand that there are churches that use the title apostle and use the title of prophet, and just because you got a title doesn't mean you are one. You can throw a title on anything, and it doesn't mean that's what it is. You've heard me say, you can look at a cow and call it a duck, but it ain't going to quack. And it doesn't matter how many times you call that cow a duck, it isn't going to change the fact that it's a cow. So you can look at someone and get a title on them, and, and they can be called apostle or prophet or evangelist or pastor or teacher. You can call them any one of a number of titles that we see through the scripture, but just because you got a title doesn't mean that's what you are. That's why we need to understand that it's Christ who calls these. It's Christ who imparts this. Nobody can impart. Nobody can just say, that's what you are. You, in fact, I've always said this, before you ever get a title, you will be it before you're called it. Long before anybody ever declares you to be this or that or the other, you'll begin to demonstrate it in your life until finally it just becomes obvious. It's, 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 it's what the disciples did with Jesus. He didn't come around saying, I mean, literally, you read the scripture. He didn't walk around saying, hey, my, my, my title is Christ Jesus. Or, or you do know Jesus, was, Jesus Christ. Christ was not his last name. He didn't have to run around waving this flag all the time. What he did was he did what he was, the son of God, and people said, you are the son of God. You are the Christ. And that's how it should work. After a while, people just see the fruit of your life, and after a while, that you just it. It, it. it fits who you are. And there are apostles and prophets in the earth today. Now, I'm going to go through this real quick because I really don't want to spend much time and burn off the few minutes I have on this. But there are reasons people do not recognize this. It could be fear. They just fear. They, they, they don't understand it. Uncertain. 
It's weird. I've never heard this before. Tradition. You know, anytime something new comes along, people just, they don't know how to take something new. And, and can I just share this? The Bible says that there's nothing new under the sun. And this scripture is old. It's, it's thousands of years old. But can I just share this with you? That revelation, when it comes to me, it might be an old truth, but to me it's a new thing. And when we talk about apostles and prophets, that's not really a new thing. It's an old truth. But if you've never considered it before, it's a new thing. An old truth that's become a new thing. So don't let tradition stand in your way. Nor the preconceptions we talked about last week as well, that some think it, it just faded away. They no longer exist on the earth. And, uh, and others have really gone the other direction. They have so magnified the place of apostles and prophets that, that they would say to themselves, who could... Who could aspire to be like, you know, like Paul or like Peter? I mean, it's almost like if you turned out the lights and you were an apostle, you'd glow in the dark. How many of you know they were sinners just like you and me? They were born under the same curse. They had to get born again. I could show you all through the scripture how they were not perfect human beings. Peter had a strain of prejudice in him that still had to be weeded out even after he was baptized in the Holy Ghost. So these guys weren't perfect people. But they were called of God to function in certain offices. And in our church, we are a part of what is called the Apostolic Reformation. We are one of those churches <laughs> that really believes that God's restoring things on the earth. Not because we'd like to think that way, but because Peter said in Acts 3, right around verse 19, he said that, that there would be a restoration of all things spoken of by the prophets. And I'm just simple enough to believe the word all means all. So God's restoring these things uh, in the earth, and we embrace that as a local body of believers. Now let's talk about an apostle. I'm going to go through this fast. The definition of an apostle, in the most basic definition, it means a sent forth one. Of course, the noun refers to a person. He's an apostle. Uh, but the verb refers to the commission. And in the original language, it could come either in the noun or the verb form. So oftentimes, you would see, you know, apa, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm shifting from English into my Greek. Uh, apostello was the noun, and, and uh, apostolusin, for instance, was the verb. And so one would be, he's off apostling. See, that's the verb. You know, you're apostling. Well, what is, well, we'll find out what that means in just a moment. But that means you're, you're doing what an apostle does. And the other one is simply the, the title, so to speak, that, that went with a person. As I've studied it, it was originally a military term. Isn't it interesting how a lot of kingdom concepts are really military terms? You know, submission is a military term. Um, uh, now we have an apostle. In fact, it was derived from the Navy with regards to an expedition or a fleet of ships. In fact, it was used in reference to an admiral of a fleet. I thought that was really cool. Because an apostle sort of is this guy that, that oversees a lot of battleships and, and, and a, lot of, a lot of combatants. It was also used to identify a founder of a colony. Now, it's interesting as you would make the leap now into spiritual things that we would begin to see that an apostle in, in the New Testament, and even as we would define it today, is probably one that oversees churches. It's kind of like the fleet. An apostle would be one that perhaps even starts churches. I mean, that could be a part of the resume as well. Uh, it's obviously a messenger sent forth with a special commission. 
and usually an overseer, as I mentioned, of the organizations. Now, most people have been taught that there were 12 apostles. Isn't that true? We all went to Sunday school, and in Sunday School 101, we were taught that there were 12 apostles, and uh, some of us even learned the song. But it's interesting that as you go through the Bible, most people do not realize how many references to apostles were made beyond the original 12. Now, these are all in Scripture. I can't take you to all the references, but I can assure you if you would want to call me on it, I would win. That all of these in Scripture are referenced as apostles. For instance, Matthias, James, Barnabas, Apollos, Adronicus. It's interesting that Junia is in all likelihood a woman. Now, boy, doesn't that tilt? That that tilt a whole denomination. A woman apostle. Junia probably couldn't preach in some of our churches today. But according to the scripture, she was an apostle. Epaphroditus, Titus, Timothy, Silvanus, Aristarchus, Tychicus. All of these people were apostles past the original 12. So if you ever hear someone say that the only apostles that ever existed were those original 12, then you just start telling them, "Uh uh-uh. Because there are at least that many that I pulled out by name that I can come forth out of the scripture and tell you these people were apostles beyond the original 12. Now, not all apostles are like the original 12. Ephesians 4, 7 told us that there is a level of grace for each gift. I'll give you an example. Let's just use an evangelist as an example. I believe that there are people who are, who are five-fold evangelists. They are called of God to be an evangelist. And I believe they do evangelistic work, and they are graced to do evangelistic work. But let me ask you this question. Does every evangelist have to be like Billy Graham? No. I mean, Billy Graham spoke to literally millions and millions of people, and there were probably millions of people that walked the aisle to receive Christ through that ministry. Now, there was a grace on Billy Graham's life that, you know, however we want to define that, let's just say his grace was at 90. Well, maybe there's another evangelist over here, and the grace on his life is is at a different level, and he may not ever preach in stadiums, and he may never see millions through his ministry, come to the Lord. But how many of you know he's just as called as Billy Graham was? See, there's a different grace. Not everybody has to, you know, there are pastors that pastor churches of tens of thousands of people. I know in America we would know some familiar names, but I'll tell you right now, there are foreign field pastors that we're talking hundreds of thousands of people. Cho's got nearly 750,000 people on the roll. Does that not boggle your mind? I bet you nobody has his cell number. I'll just, I mean, I couldn't even imagine. So does everybody that's a pastor have to be like him? Well, no, of course not. There's a different grace. A measure of grace is given. So when people say, well, they they aren't like Paul or they aren't like Peter, well, maybe so, but Peter wasn't like Paul and Paul wasn't like Peter either. They, They weren't the same amongst themselves. But it doesn't mean that anyone that comes later on down the road necessarily has to have the same grace as any one of them. In fact, is it not interesting, I found this interesting, that Peter literally walked physically with the Lord, right? I mean, he spent three years with Jesus, arm in arm, in the flesh, side by side. He heard it from the horse's mouth. But yet, is it not interesting that when it comes to who had the most revelation about Jesus, it wasn't Peter who walked with him, it was Paul who had never walked with him physically. Or naturally. Are you following me? So what does that tell us? It tells us that Paul was given a grace 
of revelation about who Christ is that surpassed even Peter or the other apostles who walked with Jesus. Now, is that not remarkable? So, so don't all of a sudden tell yourself, well, they, well, he couldn't be, you know, well, he's not a prophet. He doesn't do what Elijah does. Well, you know what? That, Elisha did more than Elijah. Elijah didn't even do what Elisha did. And I could go through and speak to you about all kinds of prophets who we don't even see doing supernatural things, what we think are supernatural things at all, and yet they were still prophets. So there are these different levels of grace. So the minute you start comparing, you know, Pastor you know, John Doe to Pastor James Q. Public, do you, under, you are instantly out of the will of God. You're instantly out, you're in the flesh because there's going to be a different measure of grace that's upon their lives, all right? So let's talk about their function. I'm going to go through this super fast, all right, because I want to get to the prophet. An apostle usually has unusual spiritual authority. They're, they're usually older because they've been around, got some experience, have some war wounds, some scars, and uh, they've lived to tell about it. They're usually, according to 1 Corinthians 4.15, a spiritual father. Paul said you had 10,000 teachers, but not many fathers in the faith. And I'm telling you, that is what God is restoring in these days because I tell you, in America, we can download and Google and get our CDs and DVDs and we can get all the information we want on spiritual things and you don't ever have to darken the door of a church. I mean, you could sit in front of your computer screen and you could be inundated and overloaded with spiritual, even scriptural information. And truth be told, we have 10,000 teachers, but our problem is we have not many fathers. And most of our problems, including moi, is not that we can't have access to information or even that we don't know. But a part of our issue is, is that we've never been under an anointing that could release. And I'm telling you, the fathers are releasing an anointing. And Malachi said in the last verse that in the last days that God, that, that God would send a curse, but it could be broken when the hearts of the fathers turn to the children. And the hearts of the children turn to the fathers. And that's both biologically speaking as well as, I believe, spiritually speaking. And I honestly believe that's what he's trying to do. Um, so anyway, i got to leave that. They set, they set doctrine. They settle doctrinal disputes. They set in order, usually start local churches. Signs and wonders manifest with this gifting at some level. A lot of times apostles have prophetic anointings because a lot of times they spring out of that. Uh, they ordain and can identify ministry. They settle conflicts, debates, render judgment. Their vision usually gets larger than just a local church. It starts to encompass the greater body of Christ. They place or set ministries in position. They usually carry supernatural wisdom. I mentioned they can arise from the other four giftings. I honestly believe that when someone's called to the ministry, if God has designs on them for apostolic leadership, that usually they start in one of the other four ministries, and then out of those experiences, God begins to, to change the call or expand the call and bring them up to apostolic ministry. Um, they're usually recognized as such. Again, I'll just go, if you have to run around and say, I'm an apostle. Because the book I had self-published, I put apostle on the front of it. How many of you know? We got, we've got to, remember, you've got to discern. Remember last week, discern the gift of God that's in front of you. 
They can face opposition sometimes due to the revelation. And interestingly, Paul said the office could be lost. He said he could be disqualified from this if he did not handle it right. And so uh, we believe apostles still are in the earth. And uh, here at Legacy, uh, we do have apostolic leadership. Now, we call him Pastor Rod Aguilard because that's what we call <laughs> usually those that are set in organizations. And, and he, is, he is technically my pastor. Everybody needs a pastor. I, I, and I teach this. I teach more than a local church, everybody needs a pastor because a local church is just really an organization and a gathering. But I believe everybody needs a pastor, and a pastor needs a pastor. And I got me one. Amen. Yeah, and I think he's a great guy, and, and, and that's because we all need input, and we all need oversight, and we all need fatherly care. And, uh, and, and so the fathers of the faith are apostles. So do I believe Pastor Rod is an apostle? The answer is yes, whether he gets that title or not. I would, I would believe him to be an apostle. In fact, interesting in the Scripture, it never says the Apostle Paul, by the way. I just thought of that. It always says Paul, an apostle. You know why that is? It's because you don't have to have a title. It's you do what you're called to do. Paul, an apostle. Paul, I'm apostling. Okay? And uh, anyway, apostle. I'm going to leave it there. I know there's lots of things. I mean, there's, I, we've got hours and hours of study on this stuff, but I've, I'm just sowing some concept into you. Now, we also believe in prophets. Um, we are, you know, the IRS calls us a nonprofit organization, but in reality, we believe in prophets. We are for prophets. Amen. Now, let me give you a definition. If you don't know what a prophet is, let me give you a definition. It's the ability to declare the now heart of God and the future possibilities of his will. That's the best way I have described what a prophet is to declare the now heart of God and the future possibilities of his will. Now, in the scripture, there were, there were two types of prophets. There were Nabi prophets and Roe prophets. Those are Hebrew words. Uh, Nabi literally meant, not nappy, I said nabby. They may have been nappy. John the Baptist was nappy, all right. But nabby means, really means bubble forth or bubble up. And, and literally, the word bubbles up. And comes forth. And Isaiah, I always give Isaiah as an example. He was a nabby prophet because as you'll go through the book of Isaiah, he had very few stories or imagery, so to speak. Most of his writing, as you will recall, was just, just straight up, just he was just writing the word of the Lord. The Lord, the word of the Lord says, you know, and he just writes it down, word for word. Now the second kind of prophet was Roe, and Roe was seer. Seer. Not Sears and Roebuck, Seer, which meant that they saw things in pictures. And I would oftentimes use Ezekiel for this because if you read Ezekiel, you'll just, you, every other chapter, he's got this picture. I saw a wheel within a wheel and there was fire. Or I saw a graveyard and these bones were scattered in the graveyard. Or I saw a temple and a river coming out of the temple. All right. So a lot of times when you hear prophecy, sometimes you'll hear people that will give you prophecy that's like word for word for word. This is what the Lord says. And sometimes you'll, you'll have people that will give you a prophecy and they'll look at you and they'll say, when I see you, I see a corn stalk. <laughs> I would love that because that's prophesying maybe a few pounds coming off or something like that. But, but there are different kinds of prophets. All right. 
Now, prophecy contains two elements on the last page here. There's forth-telling, forth-telling, which is the declaration of the now heart of God, forth-telling, and foretelling, which is declaring what God will do or what he desires to do. Now, let me just clean up some confusion that exists within the prophetic gift. And the reason I spend time in this area, folks, is because as aspiring leaders or as you're maturing, it's important that you understand that not everybody who prophesies is necessarily a prophet. Okay? Now, I talked to you last week about how the fivefold ministry, these gifts here, are different than the gifts you'll read about in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, those nine gifts that it says the Holy Spirit gives and distributes as he wills. The difference, one of the primary differences is, is that in 1 Corinthians 12, it says one of those gifts is prophecy. But what that means is, is that the Spirit, I'm just, I've got Bill here on the front row, so the Spirit comes at a moment and distributes the gift of prophecy on Bill, and he begins to prophesy. Wonderful, edifying, encouraging Builds people up, and then all of a sudden the spirit withdraws, and it doesn't necessarily mean Bill's going to prophesy anymore. Okay, are you with me? It's because God came supernaturally to do that, and you were obedient, and you went with it, and God did that through you, and that's a, that was a spiritual gift that came that the Holy Spirit distributed upon you as he sovereignly willed. Okay, and, and, and you obeyed. Cool. Now, the difference is between what happened to Bill, let's say, And now I'm talking about those that are, and I hate to use the word professionally. I don't know any other way to describe it. Just that, but they are called. They are called into full time. In in other words, this is this is all that it's about. It's it's there. I I I have yet to figure out how to distinguish governmental calling in a good way from just everybody's being called to do something in the kingdom. But let's just say, because I know how the gift works in me, is is that if it's a prophet, it if the spirit moves. That can be an easier time to prophesy, but remember I talked about the resident well and that you can dip into the well and you can prophesy. Now, I'll just tell you, there are times that uh, I'll get a phone call and someone will say that they're being ordained into the ministry or Pastor Rod will even call and we'll have service and probably in February you might see this. And he'll just call people up or ask people to come. And you'll come and you'll lay hands in a presbytery on someone. And you'll begin to pray. And, and, and all of a sudden you can prophesy. The difference between what happened to Bill and what would happen at that particular moment is, is that God sovereignly moved and he had that moment and then the Holy Spirit withdrew. But the call that is resident in the person that's a prophet, he can dip into that prophetic well at any moment. But here's the key, and this is why it takes great maturity. It's because if they don't handle it right and they become Balaam, because you remember what Balak wanted Balaam to do, Balak was going to pay Balaam, who was a prophet, he was going to pay him to curse the people of God. Now, why could he do that? Because he knew whatever would come out of Balaam's mouth would happen. And so he literally was going to pay him in order to prophesy death over the Israelites. Well, you know, and the story is that Balaam, you know, Balaam yanked Balak around. You know, Balaam wasn't right. In fact, later on, we find out in the scriptures that Balaam had a whole movement named after him called the Nicolaitans. And the Nicolaitans were basically those who, who, who lived under a grace heresy, which, which you know, they just, they, 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 they you know, 
messing God up and messing him around. You can't mess God up. I'm just saying that they were, they were trying to yank God around for their own purposes. But, but it's a great story in order to identify that you can literally, you can literally begin to prophesy things that, that are not the will of God. And what happens is when that becomes thoroughly corrupted, it becomes what we now know in our modern society as psychic. Do you know that psychics are actually unregenerate and unredeemed prophets? I believe this. Because people will come to me and they'll say, you know, I went to a psychic and they were really accurate. Well, sure they were. They were tapping into the dark side of the force. That's exactly what they were. Yeah, they were tapping into... Because you see, all of us were built to commune with God. All of us were built in order to have interaction in the spirit realm. And the key to it is, what channel are you going to tune into? You see, a prophet turns to a psychic when they begin to tune into the enemy's channel. A prophet is a prophet when he tunes into God's channel. Are you following me? See, I've said for years, a TV in and of itself is not evil. What channel you turn to may make it evil. I mean, you can preach the gospel on TV or you can watch something despicable on TV. The issue in the TV, the issue is what channel are you tuned to? So you can be gifted of God, but if you're tuning to the wrong channel, it can be corrupted. And that's why the scripture says that even Satan will come as an angel, appear, it says, would appear even as an angel of light. And that's how come it can happen that way, that someone that appears very gifted and God must be in it. But if it's, if it's tuned to the wrong channel, then what you're going to get is wrong, wrong information. Now you would say, well, I went to a psychic one time and they were very accurate. Listen to me. It isn't the first time they speak to you. It's where it leads you. You got to be, you know, Satan's not stupid. It's not like Satan shows up and goes, ha, I'm the devil. I'm going to kill you. Listen to me. I mean, we, I mean, come on. Is that how, is that how the, no, the enemy doesn't do it that way? He entices us and he woos us. And then finally we're ensnared and then we see uh, his plan. So anyway, uh, that whole point was I'm trying to distinguish between the gift and the call. There are different degrees. Let me go through this quickly now. There, there, are, there are four things here, the different degrees of prophecy, which you just need to keep in mind. Number one, the scripture talks about the spirit of prophecy. In Revelation 19.10, it talks about that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And I believe that there are times that the spirit of God comes in the congregation. The Holy Spirit is here. Man, you can sense he's here. And all of a sudden, we'll have, we'll have these eruptions of prophetic words and we'll get to a lesson here in just a few weeks because we only have a couple weeks left, and we'll talk about protocol and how these things are, are ministered in the life of the body. But, but all of us know that there have been times when the Holy Spirit has come and been amongst us, and the word of the Lord will come forth, or a tongue and an interpretation will come forth, which that interpretation is usually a prophetic utterance. And, and at that moment, that's what I define, if you want to know, in a practical way. That's the spirit of prophecy, I believe, when it comes upon the congregation. Now, the second one is the gift of prophecy. I've already illustrated that by using Bill here on the front row. It's when God just sovereignly drops. It could be in a church service. Bill could be walking. He could be walking at work someday, and all of a sudden, you know, he's just walking there, and God moves on him, and he sees one of his coworkers, and he just may walk, and it doesn't, you know, he doesn't have to act like he's, you know, his eyes roll in the back of his head, and, you know, he just may say, you know, I just feel like the Lord would want me to tell you that, that this 
you know, is what he wants to do. And, and, and maybe this is what's going on in your life. And, and God, you know, however it was. And he may deliver that and just go on. And that was a Holy Ghost moment. And that was the gift operating right there. I mean, you don't know my wife. My wife's amazing. The other day, she was in prayer time at our house. This is just recently. She, she, she's not here. She was, she's visiting, uh, I believe, Faye in the hospital. But, but uh, she was praying the other day in the house. I'm going to tell the story. And uh, all of a sudden, God spoke to her to go talk to our neighbors that we'd never met before. God gave her a word to go to the neighbor. <laughs> and you know Trace. I mean, she just stood right up, and she just walked right on over. Bless her heart. Knocked on the door. Asked them to come on down. Just shared what the Lord said to them. And, you know, they, I, don't, I don't think they even go to church. I, I don't know what they thought. She just hugged their neck, said, God bless you, God loves you, we'll see you later. Just like the Lone Ranger just kind of came in. And just, Who was that masked prophetess that went? Bless her heart, that's why I love her. I mean, she just obeys God. And, uh, and so, uh, but I'm just telling you, that's what, why not? It just doesn't all happen here. It can happen out there too. And then there's the office of the prophet. We've tried to define that as well. And women are included at this point. I gave you a list of all the women prophets in the scripture. I always felt like that was important because, uh, because like I said, there has been, unfortunately, sort of a, a prejudice through the years that somehow women are hamstrung from ministry or not participating in the life of the, the body, and that's simply not scriptural. There are a couple of verses that seem to uh, uh, not uh, allow that, but if, if we were to look at the context, and I was using this lesson to teach that, that, I could show you that that's not what the Lord is. He's not restricting women. Thank God for women. They've been the only ones that kept church doors open at times. So, uh, and here's a list of, of prophetesses in the Scripture. So uh, they obviously are, are being used mightily of God. And then, and then it's last, but it's not last in importance, the, the prophecy of Scripture. Everything that's prophesied has to measure up to the book. Nothing can be spoken by revelation or by prophecy if it doesn't measure up to the book. This is the standard. This is the boundary. In fact, <clears throat> I think it's in Latin, the Bible was originally called the canon. Now, not the canon like you're going to shoot at somebody, but the word canon in Latin, I believe, means rule. And so this became the rule. This, is, this became the rule book. This became the boundaries. And so if somebody comes up to you and prophesies, you know, some, something like, uh, uh, you know, uh, yea, yea, saith the Lord. Yes, it's okay to rob that drugstore. And, and yes, you can lie your way through that test. Or, you know, I mean, that's too obvious, I understand. But just because they said, yea, yea, saith the Lord, don't, it doesn't mean it's the Lord. All right? If it doesn't, if it doesn't, uh, bear witness to the scripture, and there are other things we could take you through as well, um, then you, sh you ought not receive it. Let me talk about real quick, I'm hurrying now, the difference between an Old Testament and a New Testament prophet. In the Old Testament, you got to realize that they could give direct guidance. I mean, they were being used by God to give direct guidance. They were being used of God to write scripture, and they were used of God to produce a level of judgment that did transition into the New Testament times. Um, I do believe that there are moments that a prophet in the New Testament can give direction, but I believe that direction functions under authority as well. And um, I, I believe the canon is closed. I don't believe we're writing any more books of Scripture. And, and so if someone says, you know, I'm a prophet and I'm writing more books of the Bible, that, that's not so. I, I don't believe that. And, and 
I also believe, because the New Testament tells me, that the spirit of the word that has to come out is not uh, necessarily that of uh, uh, judgment and hopelessness, uh, but I believe that there is restoration and hope as well. And so I, I believe there are some distinguishing features between Old Testament and New Testament prophets. Now, last uh, but not least, I want to go through how do you test one? 1 John 4, 1 through 6 says, Beloved, don't believe every spirit, for every spirit is not from God. It says, test the spirits. Test the spirits. And, and boy, if there was ever a day that you and I needed to let our discernment get kicked up about two more levels and begin to discern what's happening, because in last days, the enemy is going to produce signs and wonders, and unless we have discernment, we'll be gullible and we'll be sucked into certain things. Now, God will move as well, and there'll be true signs and wonders. There'll be false apostles and false prophets, yes, but the only thing the false proves is that there's true somewhere out there. And so don't let the false discourage you from pursuing what's true. Whenever I see something false, I say to myself, well, that just means something true's out there. All right? It may not be it, but uh, it's out there. But how do you test it? Well, I wrote some simple things down here. Uh, test their spirit. What do I mean by that? I, when, I, when you say test their spirit, I just mean are they of a good spirit? Are they submitted spirit? Is there humility? Are there, the, are there the, not just the gift of the spirit, but is there the, the fruit of the spirit? Is there patience and long-suffering and kindness and gentleness? You know, test, test the spirit. What's in, the, what's in their spirit? Secondly, this is a good one. Just test their accuracy. Now, I believe that, that, that something can be said for the first time that you've never heard before. That is possible. But don't act on anything for the first time. The Bible says that every word is confirmed on the testimony of two or three, and until you start hearing things a couple times, God's not holding that against you. So listen to what God may be saying through circumstances, and, and is it accurate? Is it accurate? I mean, if you're married, let's just say you're married, and, and, and you get this word that says, yeah, yeah, you're going to marry Jane Doe over there. Well, that ain't accurate. I'm already married, dude. I've had people go, how do you deal with that? <laughs> yeah. I get rid of it. That's how I deal with it. I don't, have to, I don't have to consternate over it because it can't be true. I'm already married. Are you following me? Okay. Where does the word lead you? Does the word lead you to God or does it lead you to man? Where does it lead you? These are just some things that might help you test. The test of doctrine. Is there sound doctrine in what they're saying? Or are they saying something that's You've never heard before. And again, just because we haven't heard it doesn't mean it may not be true, but then you're going to need to do a little study and, and let that thing bake before the Lord. The test of character. Do they have good character? Uh, letter F, are they under authority? I, I have reached the place where I just, I'm just not dealing with ministries anymore that aren't under authority. I just, I'm just not dealing with them anymore. I know that God can use anybody, and I, I had one contact me the other day, and I asked him, I bet, well, who are you related to? And, where? and he just said, I'm, I'm accountable to God, and I'm related to the Holy Ghost, and do, 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 And I said, well, that's good, dude. God bless you. I probably am not going to be able to use you. You say, really? Why would you do that? It's because I have reached the moment, and I've been in ministry for too long, that I am done with guys that refuse, and women that refuse to get themselves under someone else that can look into their life. I'm just, I'm just not doing it anymore. I, I, I'm accountable to God too. But you know what? I don't mind other people looking around and in me. So are they under authority? Who endorses their ministry? 
I mean, are they, you know, are they associated with anybody? And, and anyway, all of these things are part of the keys to receiving and understanding and hopefully being blessed by those who are in apostolic or prophetic ministry. Our-